What are you able to build with your blocks? Castles and palaces, temples and docks. Rain may keep raining, and others go wrong. But I can be happy. Sofa be mountain, the copper be sea. There I'll establish a city for me. A cook and a mill, and a palace beside, and a harbor as well. Where my vessels may ride. Welcome to a special episode of the Read All About It podcast. That was obviously the intro to the podcast, but it was actually the full song. Uh, you might have heard it before. It's called Block City, and it's the words are from Robert Louis Stevenson poem and put to music by the, the legendary bookends. So that's a, a treat for you to start off this podcast because it is a podcast about musical books, and I'm delighted to be joined on this podcast. On the other end of the line, via Skype by Chris Dolan. Chris, thanks for joining us. Hey Paul, how you doing? I'm assuming I can just I'm just gonna talk and don't have to sing through this, do I? <laughs> well listen, I've heard you singing before, so the answer is <laughs> no you don't have to. Now we're gonna in the course of this, obviously just gonna have a chat about books related to music, whether it's fiction or non fiction, but we're also gonna intersperse it with some songs and when we were planning this I said it was basically just a showcase for uh, the the multi talents that you and I have. Exactly. That could be a very long programme, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> 
or, or a very short one. People have probably stopped listening already. Um, so we, we basically what we've done is we've chosen five books each related to music and we'll just have a chat with them. And the first book, for anyone who listened to your Read All About It podcast and uh, might remember what you read in, in the bathroom... <laughs> <laughs> the first book is uh, <laughs> Revolution in the Head by Ian MacDonald. It's uh, all about, it breaks down basically every every Beatles record. And actually, when you sent me the list, I went back through my bookcase and I've actually I found my copy of it, which is, is lying beside me. And I, I know it's it's a particular favourite book of yours. I just think it's amazing. I really, I just think it's, uh, it's it's become like a standard. You now see uh, a lot of these these books you know, track by track. But you talked to one recently, uh, Paul, about the, a Dylan track by track. But this is the first one to do it. And it's just the, the extent of the, the, the knowledge this man E. McDonald has. I'll just give you just a wee example. I mean, I'm just flicking through it here. So it goes through each album. So this is a, a little entry on I Feel Fine, which is one of my favourite songs, which actually I'm not sure I could have told you was never on an album. It was just a single. And just the example, you know, it says Lennon had the original idea for the song. Uh, the riff and most of the melody, but it was otherwise co-written. So even in itself, that's interesting. So you're never quite sure when Lennon McCartney stopped writing together and when he started just writing separately under that that thing. Yeah, and it tells you things like you know there's a there's a sustained low A because uh, the guy really knows his music uh, as a foundation for feedback on Lennon's Rickenbacker. So it actually tells you which guitars are using. It tells you which which uh, chords are using. It tells you. All, the guy knows stuff about music I don't even understand. He talks about, you know, Picardian triads. God knows what that is. <laughs> but it's, it's fantastic. And then it tells you where they were when they wrote it. Um, they're apparently in, uh, in, in uh, Lennon's house. And it tells you a bit about the world, that was you know, what was happening around about the other music was in the charts at the time, what they were thinking of, where the influences came from. It's brilliant. But I'm just now thinking that it's the next one. Just make one second. Yeah, the next one. One of the other things I like about this book is it's a long conversation, I think, because you don't always agree with this guy. The next one is I'll Follow the Sun. Now, I don't know what you think of I'll Follow the Sun. I love that song. I, I think that's a great song. He's got one paragraph and he dismisses it immediately. He says, the last sentence is, despite the song's tactful brevity, it's unresolved stepwise sequence soon pulls. So he doesn't like it. He thinks it's a boring wee song. And I, I find myself shouting at it and going, that's a great song. I suppose it's a subjective thing because he's got like about six pages on Tomorrow Never Knows. Yeah. And I, I actually just flicked before we did this. Ticket to Ride, if, if I had to choose one Beatles song, that would be it. And again, so I just read, and you just say the detail on it. You know, for example, it was the first Beatles recording to break the three-minute barrier. So every day is a school day. Exactly. Or not, as it turns out. It's fascinating. The other thing it does every now and then is it tells you that there, uh, there's mistakes. So there's a breakthrough from a previous recording. You can just hear Paul McCartney singing a different lyric at 1.58. And, and if you put on really good earphones, you can hear that. And yeah, I've listened to these songs all my life and I've never noticed before. There's a little break somewhere where you can just about hear Paul McCartney play a bum note or Ringo Starr sing something from a different song or whatever. And it's amazing. You put on the earphones, I've got so they do. And I've never noticed this. So it's just full of little sweeties. There's little surprises. It makes you go back endlessly to And I just listen to the Beatles all the time because of this book. Because, as you say, it's lying in my lappy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the, yeah, you're definitely right. It's actually one of those books that you can dip in and out of. And, you know, everybody's got their own favourites and, and songs that they don't like so much. So there's just certainly it's a, it's a book that's packed full of information on the, the Beatles 
I'm going to yeah. take is in a totally different direction now. In the first book that I'd chosen, it's actually a book specifically aimed at young adults. It's a book called Eleanor in Park by Rainbow Rowell. And it was written in, back in 2012, but it was actually it's set between about 1986-87. And it's the story of, uh, of these two, what, what they would maybe call two kind of misfits. Two people don't quite fit into the school system over in, that's set in Nebraska. And it deals with a lot of issues, but it's at heart, it's this kind of teenage love story. And, and the way they kind of develop this is through uh, mixtapes, which, of course, is a, is a thing of the past that you and I would remember that. But, you know, that's how they, they kind of show how they're feeling. And when you're reading it, and it's, although it's based for young adults, it's a, it's a really great, easy to read book. But it takes you back to that time when you're a teenager and the, the agony and the angst of making up a mixtape that you know that somebody that you really like is going to judge you on. Uh, I just saw a thing on uh, uh, all these all these COVID nineteen jokes going around just now. Uh, saw one this morning, uh, and it just showed you a picture of a cassette uh, tape um, and a pencil, and it says, "If you know how these two things connect, report report immediately to your local hospital." Put <laughs> 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 oh, it on the tape with the pencil. Was <laughs> a young people going, oh, "What's a pencil got to do with a tape?" But I knew immediately what that was. Uh, yeah, it sounds great, Paul. It's a book I've never even heard of. But yeah, it sounds really good. I like the idea as young adult as well, um, because it, yeah, I think that's, that's a really nice genre. Yeah, it was int- it was it was recommended to me by a friend, and as I say, because it, it, it does take you back to that that time when you're a teenager. And uh, John Green, who's like a, a big author in that young adult genre, he's he's quoted on the front, and he says the book rem- it says reminded me not just what it's like to be young and in love with a girl, but also what it's like to be young and in love with a book. And I think that's. It's a really brilliant description of the book, and whether you're a young adult or uh, you're just young at heart, I would certainly I would recommend Eleanor and Park by Rainbow Rowell. And interestingly, I don't know, you've probably seen this before, that in America in particular, there's a thing where there's a band list that people can challenge, parents can challenge a book, and it happens in a lot of states in America where particularly like maybe fundamentalist Christian communities are challenging books that they don't like the topics involved. And this is a book that's been challenged because it deals with you know, a lot of subjects that are, are important, but that, that these people find really uncomfortable, and I, which always makes me love a book more when it is challenged for that. Absolutely. If somebody, somebody really hates it, you think, oh, that must be quite good. If you get that amount of reaction from people, then there's some reason to read it. No, obviously, you've sold it to me totally. That's on my, that's on my lockdown list. It sounds great. Excellent. I was going to say, I've got a copy here. I will sell it to you if you want. <laughs> <laughs> We might as well make money out of this. Uh, we're going to move on to our third book, and, and again, it's kind of tying in with music, but also with, again, I've said before, you, you work across a whole a lot of genres, and one of the things you do is uh, you, you've adapted Ian Rankin's Rebus series for radio, and music plays a big part in that. Huge. I don't know if you know the books at all, but uh, Rebus, John Rebus, is a, is a, is a mad music fan. Uh, although what, what I really like about the way Ian uh, uh, writes uh, Rebus is he's a mad music fan, but he is in that kind of way that a lot of us are stuck in his own his own kind of era. So he's he's roughly about my age, maybe a little bit older. He's he's I'm I'm really a seventies boy. He's probably more of a sixties boy. So he loves the Rolling Stones. He's a Rolling. So there's not a single there's now somewhere twenty six uh, Rebus novels or something like that. Uh, maybe it's less than that. But it's a lot. I've now adapted eight of them, I think. And the the, the tracks are Rebus thinks about mentions and you know just every time that Rankin gets a chance when Rebus goes in at night time and he's got he's got a problem to solve about the, the murder or whatever, he puts on music, he tells you what the music is, he tells you what music's on in his car. Or he's out talking to somebody and it reminds him of a song. And an awful lot of them are kind of mid to late sixties stone songs about one of the best uh, two of the best I think uh, Rankin books Rebus books are named after the Rolling Stone song. So um 
Black and Blue um, is, is a great, uh, it's a great uh, book, one of his best books, actually. So yeah, Rolling Stones, but then it does this other thing too, his, his kind of uh, partner in most of the books uh, is Siobhan Clark, and Siobhan's a good 20 years younger than him, and Siobhan's sort of trying to give him music from a much later era, and he's nearly always dissing him, he's like, ah, it's just rubbish, you know. <laughs> uh, we so all, we all do that, don't we? Absolutely. I think it's great, you just believe these two people because absolutely, you just hear that conversation, you go, nah, your music is obvious, my music's great, but every now and then, she convinces him of something. So I've found loads of great music. I've found either old music I didn't know from the 60s or lots of music that Siobhan suggests for Rebus. Um, so again, what I love about books that have music in them is you not only get reading out of them, but you get listening to new music or reminds you of songs you haven't heard for years. Do you know what I've discovered in terms of, uh, obviously you have your music tastes, but what, what I've discovered is I started listening to BBC Six Music in the morning. Lorne Laverne does the, the breakfast show and it's a combination of old songs, new songs, unusual. And so I've found myself listening to a lot of things that I would never ever have listened to. And again, as you say, it's like suddenly you discover all this new music. So sometimes I'll play something in the house and the rest of the family are looking at me thinking, mm, you're not a bit old to be listening to that. <laughs> Exactly. And I find that really interesting. You know, I mean, I think it's Spotify and other online, there are other online suppliers of music. Um, but you know, <laughs> more and more listen to music that, you know, before you'd had to have heard something on the radio or a mate would have to give you an album, they'd have to go and buy an album and blah, blah, blah. So it was, it was, a, it was maybe more exciting when you discover stuff before because it was harder to discover stuff. Now yeah. you discover stuff on a daily basis. But yeah, I share stuff with my kids, and it's great on Spotify, and you know, yeah, it's quite, it's, it's interesting, really new stuff that's out very much aimed at their market, mid-twenties, I'm going to love that, you know, there's lots of it go, I can't stand that, and, uh, uh, but it's, I mean, yeah. I'm not really love, you know. It's the funny when you were... Reavers, yeah. by the way, is, is in the actual adaptations, is we use the music, so if, if he mentions it in the book, we play it, but quite often it's actually the way we construct the drama slightly different from the way he constructed the book, so we can put in different music. So quite often he's going somewhere or we've got a kind of a link to two scenes we'll put in a bit of a stolen song or one of the songs that Siobhan's mentioned. And but then there's a huge argument, two of us got really involved in, in, in this, the producer, Bruce, and myself, the writer. I mean, we end up having endless amounts of arguments about which track we're going to put in. It's brilliant. I was going to say, that, that sounds like great fun. No, I'm just going to, when I mentioned earlier on mixtapes and I'd actually asked one of the young guys in, in my work, you know, what's the equivalent? Do you do you send links to YouTube songs or do you make up Spotify playlists, you know, if you're, you know, if, if you start to get out with somebody? Because music, you know, it's like your choice of films and books and music, that's kind of part of your personality and that's how you get to know somebody. But it, I just think that the physical product of a mixtape is much more than just a, a Spotify or, or just a, a playlist in any of these forums. I know, I think it's a bit of a shame it's gone. I mean, actually, up until pretty recently, I, I still do it every now and then, is I still make uh, CDs. I've got I've got a programme where you can download stuff onto CDs. I mean, you can kind of more or less do it through iPlayer, which unfortunately nobody ever uses anymore, but I've still got it on my computer. But I've got this programme where I can take stuff off, uh, stuff that I think it has to be stuff that I own rather than just being streamed. Um, but I can do that and I can make mix CDs. You can get about 20 songs onto CD and then, and then I make up, just as we used to, proper little uh, covers for it, you know, so with the name the people I'm giving it to. And quite often we go out to people's houses for, for dinner or something like that, you know, I'll take around a candle, roughly their taste is, and I'll try and come up with songs that they might not know, uh, but it's kind of the stuff that they like and then put their names on it, you know, mixtape or you and Cats or whatever. So in a way, I find stuff you can still do, it, but it's not as normal and it's more difficult to do. and. 
know, and probably younger people just go, why don't we just simply listen to Spotify? <laughs> What's your age? Uh, like, I mean, even CDs, nobody listens to CDs anymore. I know. Get with the programme, Grandad. <laughs> We're going to take a, a break for a bit more music now. Uh, so I'm I'm going to hand over to you, Chris. This is a song called Maddie's Song, a, a brilliant song that you've written. So if you want to just tell people the, the kind of story of how that came about, and then we'll have a listen to it. Absolutely. Um, in fact, uh, you're, you're part of the story, Paul. Um, I think we first met a long time ago, we were both writing books, and the camera, you said or I said or whatever, but the idea of writing a song to go with a book. So for it. Well, do you remember the days of having book launches in bookshops? Let's hope they come back again. Uh, but I kind of said after a couple of books of mine that I'm going to other people's launches, that launches were pretty boring things. Guys or women coming and just read a big chunk of the book and then that's it. So I, as you did too, uh, started to write a song and play a song as part of a, a book launch that just made it more interesting. So Maddie's Theme, as I call it, is the, the song I wrote for the first of the two uh, Maddie my, my, my crime books, uh, Maddie Shannon books. Uh, Maddie Shannon is a prosecutor fiscal in Glasgow. Um, and this is from, this is for Potter's Field. And the song is trying to be a kind of a slightly noir take on Glasgow. The female voice in it is my, is my wife Moira, who sings beautifully in it. I'm really quite pleased with this wee song. But yeah, the idea is to try and get kind of a noir feel about the Glasgow that I love. So it's kind of like, if they ever made a drama of it, this should be the theme tune. Winter sun The icy kiss Fallen mist Like a stranger's lips Cloud, the days goodbye, like a clammy sheet pulled over the sky. The things you see when you haven't got a gun, gotta keep moving, or you'll come undone. And the breath in her breast 
is a city side. Round every corner, there's fear and there's hope. Saints and sinners, the odd holy ghost. And when dust drops down, like a lover's dress. I do love that song, I have to say. So it's, uh, so is it Maddie's song or Maddie's theme? I call it Maddie's theme. I mean, Maddie's it's never theme. actually been published anywhere, so you can call it whatever you want. But I, I tend to think it was Maddie's theme. I like the idea of Maddie's theme. It's quite 60s, isn't it? That thing about you said somebody's song is somebody's theme. So I don't know why I thought that. When I first did it, I called it Maddie's theme. And it's all in the sound files now, it's called Maddie's theme. Brilliant. I'm sure people enjoyed listening to that. Actually, when you mentioned the fact that we, we've known each other for a long time now, probably about 14, 15 years, and it was a combination of football, books, and actually music, which got us together, because I was, obviously, at the time, I was we were commissioning short stories for the Celtic View, and I got put in touch with you as a writer, and I think the, the story that you wrote, if I remember rightly, was, was it Russian Do? It's a real musical element to that story. Absolutely, yeah, funny, I've forgotten, yeah, of course, that's, that's how we first met. Yeah, Russian Do, it's a, it's a story of a fiddle. It's a story about Irish immigration and about you know who you are in another country and, a, and it's, it's about a fiddle that hangs in the wall and the memories of the, the family fiddle. So yeah, yeah, I was, I was very pleased with that, that story. I've been absolutely delighted about the Celtic View because it seemed like an obvious place for it. Um, that's right, yeah. I hadn't really realised I've, I've written about music myself, yeah. And that's that story is very much about Irish music played on a fiddle within a family context. Yeah, it's a brilliant, brilliant story. Now I'm going to choose a, another book here. I've actually, from the in the list that I sent you, I actually made I've made a change. So 
the book that I'm, I'm going to talk about now is a book called Greatest Hits by Laura Barnett. Basically, I think it's a, a singer, I think it's a singer-songwriter who has disappeared from the music business for about ten years, and you know, starting to reemerge after you know, in the course of the story, you find out what happens to her. But there's sixteen tracks in the in the novel. They're, they're her tracks, and they kind of tell the story, key moments in her life. But what actually happened in the back of that was. Laura Barnett's got a friend who is called Catherine Williams, who's a musician. So Catherine actually took the lyrics that are in the book and turned it into an album, which you can get on Spotify. Some brilliant songs on it. Um, and I, I kind of thought they, they probably stole our idea, actually. But um, it's a really brilliant novel. And then just the fact that you could then go and get the soundtrack to it, I just I love that idea. I, I that's a great idea. Uh, and that, that was your idea. You, you, you should have... Uh, <laughs> Oh, I should have copyrighted it. Exactly, yeah, because that was uh, your Duran Duran, uh, which works. We and we we recorded some of those songs, uh, which again I thought was a great thing for me because I'm older than you. Duran Duran, much as I liked them, was never really part of my kind of uh, upbringing. Uh, so it was great to like <laughs> we did these weird folky fiddle versions of Duran Duran songs. But yeah, it's a great idea, isn't it? You have a you have a, a track list to go. Another book I know you've read too, because we talked about it, Paul who does the same thing, kind of not the same thing, but does something not dissimilar, is The Only Gaijin in the Village by Ian Maloney. Every yeah, chapter is named after one of his favourite ever songs, and every chapter then reflects what that song. And I didn't know this until he told me. I had to go back through and go, oh, so it is. Each chapter heading, a title, is the name of a song. Uh, and then that kind of the theme of that song and the feel of that song is picked up in the book. Uh, and I also thought your book, your short stories uh, all around Duran Duran, I thought worked so well because it's that thing of short stories, each one stands alone, but then as a whole, it becomes like an album. It's like a good album, isn't it? You know, each song stands on its own, but as an album, it also hangs together. People again are listening going, the, the two of them are just backslapping <laughs> in a hustle sense, <laughs> which we are, to be fair. Yeah, fair enough, I think it's true. Uh, uh, I love those, those stories. We're at the we're at the halfway stage in terms of the books. We're on to book number five, and it's uh, one of the books that you've chosen. Which again, I think a lot of people, when if they were trying to think off the top of their head, novels set uh, around music, then I think Roddy Doyle's The Commitments would be right up there, both the the book and the film. Yep, absolutely. I love both. Absolutely love both. Love Roddy Doyle. Uh, love particularly the Barrytown trilogy. Actually, probably my favourite is actually the Van rather than The Commitments, but I think they're all brilliant. The film is fantastic. It's my, one of my favourite kinds of music. The band they actually, the, those actors put together a real band, the, the, the band they had for the film, I thought it was unbelievable. So I love everything about that. I love that thing about soul music. I think that soul music, that kind of soul music from the sort of 60s and 70s has that same thing that, that country music can have, kind of, you know, short bursts of something that we all just connect with in some way. So that, you know, working class kids and uh, when's it set? It's the 80s? Uh, yeah. In the 80s, and working class Dublin have a, an affinity with music from 20 years earlier in a different continent. But you know, So I love all that. And I think all that is just so much of what music can do. It can just it can create this kind of connection between us, which is beyond reason. It's, 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 it's a connection which is kind of an emotional connection or something. Uh, and I thought the commitments as well has been hilariously funny um, and moving at the end. Uh, just got that so well about how much music can make difficult situations feel uh, kind of international and global and, and united for all of us. Do you know what I remember when I when I read the commitments? It was probably one of the first times 
as a reader, but then also trying to to work out how I was as a writer. That I read a book where effectively it's just dialogue the whole way through the book from start to finish. I think there's not any other descriptive language in it. But the way he's got those characters and how they speak, it feels effortless, but it's absolutely brilliant that you're there and you know what's happening, but simply by what they say and how they say it. Absolutely. I mean, it's one of the real geniuses about that book. You could almost just... I mean, actually, interestingly, it's not about kind of done it and, you know, I run this uh, course in, uh, in, in television, right? So I've kind of looked at adaptation and, in fact, the adaptation of the commitments is quite a deep adaptation. You know, it, does, it changes things in a whole number of quite fundamental ways. But I think you could almost just put that book and just and just screen it as it is because it yeah. is you're right it is dialogue and it's great dialogue because Roddy Doyle is a phenomenal writer of dialogue. You're never shown Rabbit's house. You're never shown what the place looks like. You've never and yet you can see everything and that's the side of an unbelievably brilliant writer. Well, I'm I'm going to provide one of my seamless links that I'm occasionally famous for <laughs> here. And uh, and in terms of going on to the next choice, I'm going to read you a quote from Roddy Doyle which is on the back of this book, and it's Dirt Road by James Kelman. And Roddy Doyle says, Dirt Road is brilliant, a deeply moving and exciting novel. The words feel so believable, I forgot at times that I was reading fiction. And I chose this book. It took me a while to really get into James Kelman. Uh, sometimes I found them quite difficult, and you know, I found myself really struggling with it. And But now I've really come round to him, and I think Dirt Road is absolutely... I think it's a brilliant novel, and it's... Basically, it's almost like a kind of road trip type thing. A, a dad and his son, his son who's a, a talented musician, and they end up going over to the United States, I think in the back of, of a bereavement, and they're trying to deal with that, both their relationship with each other and, and individually. And there's no false sentiment in that kind of relationship between a father and his 16-year-old son and how they're dealing with their own grief. But music is right at the heart of that and the boy who plays the accordion and then also going over there and the music that he discovers when he's in America. And when I read it, I absolutely, absolutely loved the book. You know, I feel really bad. I, I have not read it and I really should have read it and I haven't read it and I can't wait to read it. I've got a whole number of connections, I suppose. Uh, You're basically just going to read my bookshelves once this is left. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Always a good sign of a good recommendation. Uh, no, I've got it. I've had it since the Molas has first came out, um, and I've just seen one thing or another not get around to it. But I mean, I've got a whole number of connections. With, uh, first of all, I've, I've loved Kelvin for years. Uh, I feel like you, just, just I started earlier, how much older than you go. But yeah, it took me a while too. It was actually how late it is, how late they really, really hooked me. And now I'm back in my different before. So I'm a big Kelvin fan. But the other connection I have with it is there's a movie of this book, and I kind of looked through the making of this movie. Um, it's a, a good mate of mine, a guy called Kenny Glennan, uh, who I think is one of the most talented directors in Scotland today, just amazing, both movie and television director. And he put, he loved this book so much, I love Kelman so much, he put, I mean, he put all his own money into it. It was a relatively expensive film that took him years and years and years. And they finally had a big shoot about three years ago now. And another very good friend of mine, David Heyman, who is both a friend and someone I worked with it a lot, uh, was one of the, was not the dad, was another character in, in the book. And I won't tell you what happened, but all sorts of things went wrong. I mean, all sorts of things went wrong. Really difficult things went wrong. They had, they had a great time. You met people like Flaco Jimenez. I don't know if you know Flaco Jimenez. He's, a, he's an accordion, a Mexican, Tex-Mex uh, accordion player. And I love him. Uh, he's on lots of Raikouda albums and stuff like that. I'm a big fan of Flaco. They actually stayed in Flacco Jimenez's house. Oh, man, I'm so jealous. But also things went wrong. However, the film did finally get made. Um, and it was shown that it's been on both telly, online and GFT. And again, even though I know virtually I've been involved in that, I've never managed to see it. I've got it Sky Plus, actually, bizarrely enough, because it was on quite recently. 
Yes, I mean, it's only recently it's come out. I mean, the only really thing they finished an edit of it about six months ago or something like that, I think. Yeah, Kenny's been working on it all the time. So have you seen it, Paul? No, I've, I've got it on my list of things to watch uh, during a lockdown, so it's, I'm certainly going to be watching it. Well, I hear it's really good, but it's not, it's not the film that Kenny wanted to make for a whole yeah. number of reasons, financial problems all over the place. It wasn't the film that he really wanted to make. But Kenny is such a brilliant filmmaker and Kelman is such a brilliant writer that even if it's only half as good as it could have been, it would still be fantastic. Do you know, it's what I, as I say, I sky-plussed it, but you know that way I'll, I'll get to it, but I, I really love the book so much. I'm, I'm always, there's always that kind of slight reluctance, just in case it, it won't live up to the quality of the book. But no, I'll definitely, now that, that you've mentioned it, I'll definitely watch it. I know what you mean by that, and some we haven't really talked about that much, and if we're going to talk about books and music, that's, that's kind of a, an issue, isn't it, about, you know, to what extent books that we love, if they're, if they're adapted, and how they come across, and what music they choose to go with, and all that. Quite often I can watch a film and say, why did they choose that kind of music? You know, yeah. <laughs> it's not the music I heard to go with the film. Well, we're on to book number seven, and it's uh, another one of your choices. It's Leonard Cohen. Um, when we're yep. talking about obviously music and, and books and, and what made you choose this particular book? Well, uh, I was given it for my birthday uh, by my wains and that was nice. It's a beautiful, beautiful book I've got in my hand here just now. It's called uh, The Flame. Um, it's, it's brilliant for a number of reasons. One, I got it not long after Cohen died. Uh, I have been an absolutely lifelong fanatic about Cohen. Um, in the dark days when nobody else in the world liked him, um, I was still there playing on, learning his songs on guitar, playing with parties, usually finishing off parties stone dead when I started playing Leonard Cohen songs. But I just loved the man. And uh, this book came out after his death. So it was like, there's now a new album out as well, which is phenomenal. An album came out just last month, posthumous, made by his uh, son. But it is Leonard Cohen songs, uh, which is beautiful. But it's just gorgeous. And it's just like, you know, and it's, what I really like is people older singers and writers being honest about being old. I find a lot of stuff, which I still quite like, you know, Paul McCartney and the Stones and all that, they're still playing to being 21, you know. Uh, I mean, long, long way to do it, but it's not really talking about what it's like to grow older. Whereas Cohen was incredibly honest about growing older. I thought I'd just read you one little bit. It's a poem in here which I loved, and it actually was turned into a song. Uh, I'll just read you a wee tiny bit of it. It's called You Got Me Singing. You got me singing, even though the news is bad. You got me singing the only song I ever had. You got me singing ever since the river died. You got me thinking of the places we could hide. You got me singing even though the world is gone. And you got me thinking I'd like to carry on. And it's just full of just beautiful little poems that are songs too like that. Also, it's full of his art. So that's next to a really lovely little charcoal, I think, drawing of a, of a young woman. Which is just really pretty and really beautiful. When you read those, do you, do, you hear, do you hear them in his voice then? I do, completely. I can hear Cohen's voice, absolutely. And I'm just reading it. And I can see and hear. And there's lots of little self-portraits in this book. He does lots and lots of just little tiny, quite funny sketches, kind of sending himself up. I have people who don't know Leonard Cohen, uh, and he's always known as being incredibly miserable. I have always, always found him the funniest singer-songwriter of them all. Uh, since the very beginning, I think people don't realise that a lot of the time he's been very, very funny. Um, Hallelujah, by the way, I think it's hilarious. <laughs> Nobody else does. Uh, I was going to say, I, don't, I think that's, I don't think many people would, would say but, that about that. But there's one thing that's funny about it, and there's a joke, and there's a musical joke all the way through it, and that is, how many things can you possibly rhyme with the word hallelujah? <laughs> uh, it's always going to do you and hoo you, and it's a joke. <laughs> it's like slightly ridiculous what you can rhyme with hallelujah. 
So he's always had a kind of, a kind of you know, in amongst the seriousness has also been a kind of a comedy. So yeah, I do. I think that it's, it's just it's just that you know, it's it's, it's like the last thing from Leonard Cohen. It's, it's it's close to my heart. Yeah, so that's Leonard Cohen, The Flame. We are going to stop for another song, and it's again it's a poem that has been turned into music by the legendary Bookends. And again, for by people yourself, who are listening, <laughs> so words by Robert Louis Stevenson and again if people have listened to the, the podcast extras there's a wee segment where I speak to my son Andrew and it's what Andrew's not reading this week and the wee theme tune is part of this song called The Swing and just before you, you hear it I remember when we recorded it and I'd sent it to my wife and she had to listen to it and she thought oh, that's quite good but this, the song it's basically just about it's like a kid up in a swing so as they go high and so high they can you know the vision extends and they can see for miles and that's where the, the words are coming from and she said when she heard it and she said oh is that you trying to sort of recapture your lost youth and I said well no I just I wrote the music it was Robert Louis Stevenson that wrote the, the words and she said well it's not really your song then is it <laughs> and, I, and I said well no he wrote the poem but once the music comes to it it's my song but it obviously this, it's not a song without the music and she wasn't buying it so she, she refuses to accept it's my song so <laughs> but then you have a word with her <laughs> it's a different art form so it becomes a new piece of art so I, I do this and I teach adaptation a lot you've done something Chris, new I've had, Chris I've had this argument before <laughs> I lost <laughs> but anyway this is for, for my wife this is the song that I wrote with Robert Louis Stevenson this is The Swing How do you like to go up in a swing, up in the air, so blue? Oh, I do think it is the pleasantest thing ever a child. in the air. 
we're into the last three books, Chris, and uh, the next book I, I want to choose, this is the, the non-fiction book that I chose. This is it's just one of the best books I, I've ever read. It's called The Wichita Line Man, Searching in the Sun for the World's Greatest Unfinished Song by Dylan Jones. And it's one of those books that I was just browsing in a bookshop in town and it just caught my eye. And obviously it's, it's one of my favourite songs. Obviously Glenn Campbell recorded it, Jimmy Webb uh, wrote it. I think a lot of people have obviously recorded it, but Glenn Campbell's is a famous version. And Dylan Jones goes back and tells the story of the song, tells us the story of how Jimmy Webb, you know, became, you know, a, a famous and much sought after songwriter when he was still a young man and how that song came to be recorded by Glenn Campbell, but also how it kind of took on a life of its own and how it's it's became so iconic and so popular. And again, talking, when you were talking earlier on about that revolution in the head, he goes into some real detail about the recording of it, but it's one of those books that I couldn't wait to finish, but I didn't want to end, if you know what I mean, because it's just, it, I love the song and, and the book is just, it's as perfect as the song, I think. I mean, it's extraordinary. I've heard you talk about this book before and yeah, you're right, I'm just going to come around when the lockdown's over and empty your bookcases. Uh, I really fancy that, cause I, in a way, part because I can't quite imagine that, it seems to me, you know, you can get a whole book of quite a short song. I'm, I'm sure it goes down all sorts of different areas of Jimmy Webb's life and all sorts of things. But it's interesting that, you know, taking one quite short, and I agree with you, I love that song. It's such a beautiful song. But yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of intrigued by it, Paul, you know, what, what, what that book is, because I don't really know what it is, um, except I love that song and it sounds really interesting. Yeah, because I think, I think that this that's the starting point for him as a fan of that song and a fan of Jimmy Webb. But he says, it's, you know, he's looking at it as more than just a song. It's, it symbolises something to do with America. And, you know, obviously when Glenn Campbell recorded it and, and how he was at the time, how he's perceived. and But then how, again, how it expands beyond that and the different people that have covered it and what it means to people. And it's just... It's just a beautiful book, and honestly, I can't can't recommend it highly enough. And then the good thing about reading it is, as you're reading it, that song is just planted in your head all the time. And you know, so you know, sometimes you hear a song on the radio and it's a terrible song, but it's stuck in your head all day. This is the opposite that you just listen to what you tell line man going through your head the whole day, and that's just brilliant. Absolutely, but yeah, exactly. That's one of those songs I'll be happy to have them planted in my head. Now we're going to uh, jump from. America, and we're going to head over to, to Spain for uh, another so, uh, book that you've chosen called Gypsy Ballads by Garcia Lorca, or uh, I'm sure you'll tell me how you really pronounce his name. Hi, Garcia Lorca's fine, English Garcia Lorca. Um, I presume in Spain it's more good, they do have that this house, so Garcia Lorca. But he's, he's internationally famous not to be Garcia Lorca. And he's fascinating. Uh, I mean, he's kind of perhaps most famous for a very, for a very tragic end. Uh, he was killed by the by Franco's uh, soldiers in, in the beginning, actually, of the, the Spanish Civil War, uh, very, very cruelly as well. And his kind of death has become a kind of a cost of labor. But the poet himself, uh, he's an extraordinary poet. For anybody who knows any of this, he's probably better known here for his plays, because there have been versions of his plays, Blood Wedding, Yerma, The House of Bernardo Alba. They're all very strange. Lorca himself was a young guy in Andalusia, uh, so very, very rural southern Spain with lots of gypsies around about. Uh, his father was pretty well off and owned land on the, on the farm, and the people who worked on the farm tended to be locals, who tended to be gitanos, whether, you know, the actual gypsies or Andalusia, the mix of that kind of culture. Um, and the songs that they sang were really, really kind of important to Garcia Lorca. But they were kind of seen as just being kind of, you know, local nonsense music until Lorca and De Faglia, the, the composer, kind of both realised roughly at the same time in the early 1920s that this was really, really important music. And they, they created a, a, a conference in Seville 
called the, the, the conference of deep song Cantijondo is this is one of the one of the things you can call kind of the sung version of flamenco. And so Lorca then for the rest of his life goes on to write these really strange poems. Flamenco music is essentially Spanish blues. You know, most of the songs, you know, there's a really strange sound because there's an Indian uh, bass to them and there's a lot of Jewish music in there and Islamic music and uh, Moroccan music. You know, it's a real mix of styles. That's where you get this odd sound. But the lyrics are really about, you know, being lost and lonely, like blues or like a country and western, being alone, being left by your woman, by your woman being unfaithful, your man being unfaithful. Lots of prison songs, lots of working songs, exactly the same again as all working songs, yeah, like the blues or country and western and flamenco. So I thought just for people who don't know uh, Garcia Lorca, um, I'll just give you again a wee, a wee flavour of uh, uh, some of his poems. I, I thought I might try this out, uh, Paul, see what you think. Perhaps his most famous poem has been put to music loads as a, as a, a, a poem called uh, Sleepwalking Ballad, Romantic Sonambulo. Um, and it's very odd and as everyone's always said, it's virtually impossible to translate. I've made a wee bash at trying to do the first part of, of this uh, poem. But give you a taste, first of all, the first two lines, okay, in Spanish are Verde que te quiero verde, verde viento verdes ramas, which I think sounds incredibly beautiful. Yeah. But try and put that into English. And a direct translation of that is green, I love you, green, green wind, green branches, which sounds appalling. So you kind of have to know a bit about Lorca, a bit about Flamenco culture, a bit of Andalusia this time. And this is my attempt to do a Scottish version of Verde que te quiero verde. I want you, both budding and hour ripe, green, thistle and thorn or burling queasy on the brackish tide, watching the river mounted. Misty to the belly dune, she dwams at her windy, forest hair, rowan skin, the cold lochens o'er in, dis you and sewer. She's exposed under the gibbous tinker moon, the lass, but she doesn't ken it. That's my wee attempt on Lorca, which is probably a terrible thing to do. But there we go. <laughs> I'm thinking that some people probably they wouldn't understand the Spanish, but there's probably some people who don't even understand the Scots. I that's what I can't try to do. I type it into like if Burns were to write it or something to really yeah. really Scots. Scots. So as I'm reading out, I mean, as I, I did this last year when I was in Spain, and actually as I'm reading out, I'm going, I'm not sure what it means myself. <laughs> I must have had a Scots dictionary somewhere. But no, so but, uh, but Lorca is a fantastic poet. If you haven't read him, if you ever get a chance. He's, it sounds very strange, but it's kind of beautiful and sexy and violent and weird. But I've always loved him. And he's just, he's a one-off Lorca. I don't know any other writer writes anything like Lorca. Um, so if you've never read him before, during the lockdown, try a Lorca. You might hate him, but some of you might love him. Excellent. I'm sure somebody will take you up on that recommendation. And now we're on to the last of our books. Uh, it's book 10. And this is a book that I'm currently reading. It's a book called Trackman by Katrina Child. And you mentioned earlier on about, you know, having books that you've, you've maybe had in, in your shelves for years before you, you discover them and or pick them up. And this is the same with me. And I don't know if you remember, about five or six years ago, you and I, we did a, a World Book Night event at the Iron Horse Pub in Glasgow. Um, my friend Andy Riley had hosted it and it was a kind of music and books and Katrina had come through from Edinburgh and she was reading from Trackman because music's right at the heart of that and she'd actually had got a copy of the book from her and she'd written a wee dedication to me and it's been in my shelves and I actually interviewed her recently she's going to be coming up on the podcast as one of the main interviews in next week it's a really brilliant interview and on the back of that I thought I really need to to read Trackman honestly it is it's amazing it's set in Edinburgh the main character is a guy who 
uh, works in a record shop. He's dealing with some some personal things, and, and he's given by this kind of mysterious guy an MP3 player, which seems to have a life of its own, and it kind of directs him towards people who might need help through music. And he becomes like the track. He's called the track man, not quite a superhero, but you know, for example, he sees a as a kind of girl crying in a, a telephone box, and he, may, he eventually gets a persuader to listen to the music, and it's a song which kind of helps her and deal with what's going on, and it's kind of strange and magical. And is there a real song? Is the song that he gives to the girl is a, a no, song? No, no, it's, it's real songs. It's right. uh, you know, and, and they're related to whatever's happening in that particular person's life. Each each uh, chapter's the heading again is the, the name of a song. Songs that that relate to the the chapter. But obviously, I think some of them are Katrina's own favourites. And there's actually there was a bit early on that I read the, one of the chapters one morning, and it was so brilliantly and beautifully written. I actually had some tears in my eyes at the end of the chapter and that happens very rarely with me I think the last time that happened was I read the end of uh, Steinbeck's The Grapes of Wrath and yeah. it's moving it's also funny there's a, there's a scene in it where the, the main character he's, he's teaching his niece how to well he says the proper way to eat a penguin biscuit and it's nibbling the ends and, and soaking the, the tea up through it and then you put it all and I thought as soon as I was reading that I thought that's the way I eat uh, like a, a classic biscuit I'd take a, either end and then just uh, let it um, uh, sort of soak in all the, the tea but it's just it's a brilliant brilliant book I'm, I'm as I say two thirds of the way through it and it's great Edinburgh novel it's a great book about music it's a great Scottish book and, and she writes so brilliantly and I can't believe it's taken me so long to read it Right, so Paul, just um, once you finish that, just bring those five books round, stand <laughs> six, uh, two metres away from me, wipe them down. <laughs> that sounds you brilliant. I do remember, Katina, and I remember you talking about and her talking about this book. I thought, that's a great idea for a book. So that that also sounds amazing. It is that thing about how music connects us. It seems to be what all these books kind of have in common, isn't it? The, the, the idea that even though we're from very different cultures, places, situations, whatever, music is some kind of common language that we that we have yeah and as i say she she writes so it's i mean she's writing the main character is actually you know a young guy in his early 20s but she writes so perceptively and, and accurately about somebody that age it's it's absolutely brilliant and as i say some of it's really funny some of it's sad and but you know music's right at the the heart of it she's a she's a big uh, music fan so uh, yeah she definitely i think she actually used to work at one point she used to work in a music store in edinburgh yeah. and also she she wrote another novel called swim until you can't see land uh, which i haven't read but that's a, the title uh, that's the title of a frightened rabbit song so Certainly, she's she's very uh, clued up knows a lot about music and the book is is a it's a brilliant scottish novel I'm so pleased that she's used a frightened rabbit uh, track right now in Scotland, and uh, they're just such an important band for us, I think. Uh, so that's lovely. Uh, yeah, well, that's me. I, I, you need to buy that book as well and give me that one too. Yeah, I'll just, what you do is you'll just hear your doorbell go, and, and then you there'll be nobody there, but there'll be a wee bag of books just at your front door. <laughs> that's like, that's like, that's like your, your total dream come true. You never have to leave the house, just every now and then you open your door, and there's six great books lying there. Absolutely. Well, listen, we've just about come to the end of this podcast, so uh, slightly unusual, obviously, talking over Skype, but thankfully modern technology is keeping us all in touch, even in these strange times. It's, I find it really interesting, actually. It's that thing that's a bit of a cliche and all, but honestly, through WhatsApp and Skype and things, we've got to know neighbours better than we ever have in the last 10 years that we've lived here, uh, because people are getting together to make sure everybody's all right and all that, so... I find these kind of uh, these kind of conversations via modern technology really fascinating. I'm also teaching by uh, by using Skype and all sorts of other Zoom and uh, Microsoft Teams and stuff. So 
I'm fine all really. I'm just nicely. So, and I thought that was great fun. I just really enjoyed that. Two of our favourite things. Basically, it's what you and I talk about in a cafe all the time. Books and music. Yeah. <laughs> and not only that, we are going to we're going to leave people with a, a special treat. One of the songs that we used to do when we, we did like book events was a, a song called "Read All About It," which was tied into the the book "Read All About It" that I'd written. And this version, we just recorded it in your dining room, and it's it's me on the acoustic guitar, you on the fiddle, and I always love this song. I always thought we it was a really good song that we played live, but it's actually a, a, quite a good wee uh, quality of of recording. I was always pleased that it's your, your song. I always thought it was a great song. And I was, yeah, it was something I hadn't really had much experience of doing, and I think you and I did a bit of it. I really enjoyed it. And of me trying to find a fiddle part for something, I'm, I'm quite pleased with this one. So maybe nobody else will be, but we like it. We think we're great. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, listen, Chris, thanks for, for the chat. And we'll, we'll no doubt we'll reconvene with uh, another another podcast in the, the near future. Um, we're going to leave you with the Read All About It song. So uh, if you're listening, thanks very much. Stay safe. And until next time, keep reading. Oh